You're listening to the Empowered Divorce Podcast, where women support women who have experienced betrayal trauma and abuse and are now facing divorce. Here, you'll learn tools and concepts to help guide your journey from a place of empowerment by trusting yourself and becoming the chooser in your life. I'm your host, Amy Woolsey. Thanks for joining. Hello, hello, my amazing, beautiful listeners. Thank you for joining the Empowered Divorce Podcast. I have with me today another woman who is going to be sharing her story and some of those stuck points that kept her from moving forward and moving towards a healing direction. She's going to share with you what helped her make that first step forward. And hopefully today you can find something that's helpful. And if anything, just feel some validation and know that you're not alone in this journey. And we are here, women supporting women to healthy and to a place of healing. So thank you again for joining me and enjoy this interview. Here we go. Hello, Shay. Welcome. I'm so freaking excited for you to join me on this podcast. Seriously. I am so excited. (laughs) This is so awesome. And this is something I wish I would have had, but very grateful that it's coming and I'll be listening to it because I'm sure I'll get new insights and just really excited for what this is going to bring. I'm happy to have you on. I'm so glad you agreed to do this. So first of all, let me just quickly introduce you. So Shay has three boys, one girl, ages 22, 14, 11, and six. She's been divorced, well, separated since December of last year, divorced a little over a year and a half. Now you have been with, like, we've worked together for a little while now, and I have loved, I love watching everyone's journey, but I have loved watching your journey and how you embraced the coaching concepts and tools and truly put them into practice. I mean, with intention and my gosh, have I seen the fruit of that labor? And it has been just a beautiful thing to watch. Like it chokes me up because it's just been so strengthening to me to watch you just dive in and do this. And I just am so excited to hear a little bit more of your story and have women hear your story and of your strength and why you embraced the tools. And so tell us just a little bit about your story and, and yeah, just what you want everyone to know. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. And we'll just start off with tears right away. I'm good at making people cry. (laughs) To everybody out there, when I'm determined, I go for it. And I don't, I can't see the progress happening outside of me. So when somebody I truly trust with my vulnerability and helping me in this healing process, come back and just tell me how amazing it's been to watch me grow and how hard I've been working is really touching and validating. There's a lot of days that I feel like I'm not doing enough. And I really believe that just comes because there's more healing that needs to be done that comes up. And so I always feel like I'm starting at the bottom working again. So it's really nice to just have that outside validation. (laughs) because one day I will be able to conquer that a little bit better. But for now, that was wonderful. I appreciate that. So my story, I was married for 15 years. There were plenty of red flags before I got married. And I just, you know, young, I'm going to bust through this. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be the cheerleader 
we're going to overcome this. And what I had come to find out is that he had been viewing pornography. So this was an issue on and off in our marriage. And in about 2015, I came across a post that gave the signs of somebody who had, was like an addiction of pornography. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is my husband. And I was relieved. I was relieved it wasn't me because I kept trying to fix myself to fix my marriage. And I was just determined. And um, I realized that the anger wasn't me. It was because of what he was doing and causing all these things. And so I then really proceeded to confront him, which he had reluctantly told me and then proceeded to tell me that he was not going to go see our ecclesiastical leader for help and to to help our marriage. And I was like, that's fine. This is what I'm doing. This is where my healing journey is going. And I actually started out with the worth group through life-changing services and then found through life-changing services, there was a woman in my group that was also doing ARP and we had, and it was another like 12-step program where, and so she had invited me because we lived in the same area. So I was doing two of those and just loving it. And he was doing his own thing and I was fine with it. You say own thing. That means like no help or just a little help or just a little help. I was doing the worth group and I was going to ARP. I think if I remember correctly, within like two to three months of that, I started therapy and then he decided that he was going to go to our ecclesiastical leader, and he proceeded to join an ARP group. And so we would ride over together. And I still just really didn't feel safe. There was a lot of anger. There was anger on the way home. And I just, I really just didn't feel safe. So I had actually before 2015 and 2014 was living in North Dakota and our marriage, it was just like, I felt like this darkness And I wouldn't talk to him. He wouldn't talk to me. And I just decided I couldn't take it anymore. Packed my kids, packed what I could, headed to Utah to my safe place, my parents' home. And I didn't tell him what I was doing until I got to Idaho Falls. And then I called and was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I was still very scared at that point. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I knew that I needed to get out of the situation. but that was only, so that was the only way I knew how I was, I was scared of him. He hadn't ever laid hands on me. He wasn't really, he was aggressive in his energy, sometimes aggressive in his language, but it really just didn't manifest physically. Thank goodness. But I was still, it was enough that I was scared of him. So that was the reason I kept information from him. So eventually He kept talking to me and I kept just saying, you know what? I just need my time. I just need to work on myself. This is about me. And eventually he, we ended up reconciling and moving to the Las Vegas, Nevada area. And that's when things proceeded in 2015 and I met in these groups. So anyways, I ended up getting pregnant, finding out in May of 2015, and things just weren't getting better. They really weren't. He was still really angry. I got to a point 
in the summertime where I didn't even want to ride over with him to the to our church building where these meetings were held and it was getting pretty hard and so there was a couple of incidences we had to move from our town home to another home in the area and he would get irritated with me just sitting on the couch reading but just irritated over little things like I wasn't putting the water jug on the cooler and I'm like I'm pregnant I'm not gonna lift a five gallon (laughs) water jug on there and then there was another issue that had come up where I know we're laying in bed one one day one night and I can't even remember what triggered it but he got mad and jumped up out of the bed and ripped the covers off of me and just started yelling at me saying that I always think it always leads to being about sex or whatever So I ended up sleeping in another room for the night and making plans again to pack my wagon and leave. And so this time I was more open about it. (laughs) I actually said, I'm going to go to my parents' house in Utah for a couple weeks. The kids need to get out and get out in the country and just need to gather myself back together. And so I, I did that and eventually... After the two weeks was up, I was like, okay, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. So the same pattern started happening again when I first left him. And I still didn't understand how to, at that point, stand up for myself. Being pregnant, man, your emotions are everywhere. And so (laughs) I was still highly just emotional about everything. And eventually I allowed him to talk himself into my life again. So we moved to Utah into my parents' home. They weren't living there at the time. And things just never, just looking back on it, never got better. There was always a lot of angry, violent energy going on between what the kids weren't doing to that. He was just taking his anger out everywhere he could. And it just wasn't becoming a safe situation. And I was, I had quit doing worth and I had quit doing my ARP. Why was that? What made you stop? He gaslighted me on these things to, he was saying how, gosh, I can't remember the exactness of it, but like he wanted to tell me that what I was reading and what I was doing wasn't true. Like they're tell like all these things are telling me things about him and it wasn't true. So it was that whole gaslighting process. Your healing was making things worse. Yes, absolutely worse. Anytime I wanted to do big growth things made it a hundred percent worse. And so it was getting worse and I still kept my therapy appointments. And my biggest fear at that time was financial means like how am I going to do this on my own my oldest child was born out of wedlock and so I know the struggles of being a single mom and not having very much money and I just I'm like my heart could not fathom doing that with four children I I just I'm like I don't know how that is ever going to be possible we eventually bought our own home and things kind of evened out. He started getting better in some ways, but it was just always giving me just enough to <laughs> make it to the next time. But what I started noticing is like, we keep going through these cycles and cycles and I was just getting tired. I was getting drained. You know, I was at the point, like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. Like, God, am I, is this, 
do you want me to stay here? And I think that was like the hardest thing is in wanting to leave. I wanted an answer. I wanted somebody to say, yeah, it's okay. Look Mm -hmm. at what's happening. Look, you're essentially not able to feel safe and be safe. And nobody could tell me that. And I couldn't hear a direct answer. Why do you think you wanted, sorry, why did you, why do you think this is so common? Why do you think you wanted someone else, including God to give you that answer? There was a lot, I think, first of all, just learning just from my healing standpoint. Now, I think there was a lot of trust issues. I didn't trust my own voice. I didn't trust my body. I didn't trust anything about me. So there was so many fears. Like the last thing I want to do is tear my family apart. The last thing I want to do is walk away from a marriage that was salvageable Uh, and just being raised in a Christian religion. It's just not something that you're guided through. And it seems like it's a black and white direct way. You can't, you're either, or there's no gray area. And so there was a lot of those fears and I just felt like just somebody, please tell me. And, but things just kept getting progressively, they got worse in some areas. And my daughter had decided to go to the Navy after, after her graduation. And so she headed off to the Navy and went to boot camp. We went to her graduation. There was a lot of aggressive behavior, a lot of passive aggressive behavior in that time. And then I got a really strong impression that I needed to go back to work and I didn't know I had been a stay at home mom since 2007. (laughs) I'm like, I essentially feel like I have no skills before that. I was a massage therapist. I let all my licenses lapse and I was like, there's no way I'm tackling that one. (laughs) And I decided to get a substitute teaching certificate. Arizona is really easy and friendly. So I didn't have to have associates degree. I could get apply for an emergency one. And I did that. And that put my foot in the door and I substituted for the rest of that year. The next year I got on full time. So I was, I I think I was at a point in healing. Like he gave me moments of healing that I could actually hear that. And I could feel the spirit whisper, like, this is what you need to do. When you say he gave you moments of healing, does that mean like he backed off for a little while? What did that look like? Yeah, it was the moments between his cycles, the honeymoon periods. Okay. Okay. And then right before I had my baby, so he had acted out and he had actually told me, and I was just like, I gave the boundary, but he had to sleep out on the couch. At that point, he didn't know if he was going to even be a part of the birth of the baby or, you know, that was really scary and unknown for him. And so he's started to really like back off. I remember the December before I had the baby, we had gone on a road trip and we came home and it totally dawned on me that I didn't have these hatred, angry thoughts of like, oh, I, and just so miserable. Why am I in this car? What, you know, what am I doing? Cause it's, it would trips always ended up that way because of his behavior. And I was like, oh my goodness, I could breathe. And so up through the birth, it was really good up until about two weeks, one to two weeks after the baby was born, then it started to spiral down. And then we're in these constant cycles and honeymoon phases. And, and so, yeah, that's kind (laughs) of sped the process of me thinking, okay, I'm just, I'm done fighting this. Like, when is it going to end? Is it ever going to end? And it was such a slow process. And I think my energy is just natural. Let's just get it done. Let's just bulldoze through it. And 
it had actually had to be a slow process now that I look back at it because I needed that prompting. I needed the confidence to actually get a job and, and be able to listen to that inspiration that, Hey, that you need to start doing, get out there, get a job. And so back to boot camp, all that happened. And then we went back to living our normal life. Oh, that was 2018 and 2019. We then took our kids to Chicago to another school graduation in the Navy for my daughter. And it was horrible. It was really stressful. She was trying to introduce her boyfriend and his family to us. And my husband is so, I was absolutely mortified. We were at the Navy Pier. I can't remember what the building's called. It has like, yeah, it's by the Navy Pier. Anyways, so his family is there. And my husband at the time was mumbling under his breath and the father had caught on and they just took off and separated themselves from the situation. Cause the dad was like, I'm not putting up with this. And I was devastated. I was embarrassed because this whole time in my marriage, I'm covering that up. Mm. I'm essentially trying to protect everybody else and protect him. And so all of a sudden the bandage ripped off and I am in this building just full of people. And my daughter goes back to talk to her boyfriend and the family and they figure out what's going on. And I was just devastated. I took the kids to McDonald's, ordered them food, sat them down, ran to the closest bathroom sat in that stall and bawled my eyes out. And I was like, I hope nobody asked me what's wrong. And thank goodness everybody was minding their own business because they did not ask me (laughs) what was wrong. But it was the most mortifying thing that had ever happened. I was just like, oh, and later on he found the dad and apologized. But, you know, that just, that really set the stage for things to come. And I, I, then again, I talked to my ecclesiastical leader and he was really supportive in, He didn't tell me what to do, but he wasn't against moving forward in a divorce. My therapist was at that time helping me work through it. And I just stood outside and was just thinking about it. And I just had this peaceful, overwhelming feeling that it's, that it was okay. Like I just thought about throwing his stuff out of the room and all these things that I felt so peaceful and so liberated. I was like, yeah, I think we ended up having did we have in-house separation? I'm not sure if we had it done that at that point. We might have. I'm so it's just, it's all just coming like a big mesh. I know we did like, I had went, we had, I had moved downstairs and then eventually that still wasn't working because he was still trying to act like we're married and <laughs> he was still crossing boundaries of like, no, this is my space, your space. And so I ended up moving to my mom's just down the road for about three weeks, but it was so hard on the kids. And so I decided to move back to the house and, you know, school was starting, get them into routine. And I tried to keep that in-house separation. I eventually moved upstairs back into the bedroom and we eventually started coming back together. But then November of 2020 came and oh, now there was another incident. There was January, 2020 was a work party and I had already, I mean, my body, my mind already knew I was always trying to plan ahead for the next disaster. 
And Mm -hmm. so he wanted me to go to this work party that I did not want to go to, but I'm like, it's going to be okay. I know people there. My cousin lives in this town. I could call my cousin if I need to be rescued. I could go, you know, the, these older people over here I've known for years or my, they're friends of my dad for years. I could go to them. So even though you're together again, you're still on alert planning for the next cycle to hit the next time that you have to create that safety and space for yourself. Yes. Yes. And I end up walking in and seeing an old friend. She was my fitness instructor, loved her, hadn't seen her forever. And we called, we were just talking and catching up and he had gotten a table with his friends and I went and sat down and he completely humiliated me by putting my friend's husband down in front of everybody. I was frozen. I was mortified. I'm like, don't touch your phone. Don't look at your phone. Like I couldn't even run to the bathroom. I'm like all the steps, everything I had planned out. I couldn't even force myself to follow through. I was just absolutely mortified. And I just cannot believe I was like, are you serious? And so, (laughs) so we eventually went home and we were, you know, it was just rocky and I might, we might have had another separation for a little bit. I can't really remember. I do remember we tried like through COVID. He kept working. Thank goodness. I was home working and we had another trip out to Lake Powell. And I just remember all these like like getting the boat in the water was so much high anxiety. I couldn't even, I was going to therapist on a weekly basis. And I'm like, I don't want to do this trip. It's too much stress. I can't just, it's stupid backing a trailer into the water and launching the boat and somebody doing this and somebody doing that. I couldn't even do that. It was so stressful. I couldn't learn from him. And it was just, we had a couple of those incidences and I just, I'm like, I just couldn't do it. And I think that was the summer we actually had more separations. I ended up, yeah, I ended up separating from him a few more times. And then we had actually by the fall, we were, I was back in, that's when I was back in the house and getting the, trying to make it work again. And we ended up coming to Virginia to my daughter's and her husband's for Thanksgiving. And that was a, uh, that was actually the last straw. Um, he, we went there and he essentially just kept himself in the room and would not like interact with anybody or anything. And it was like my son-in-law and him having like this power struggle, I guess. I didn't see it. I didn't hear about it until after I went home, but I know as soon as my son-in-law went on duty for his 24 hours and was at home, then he was more apt to be out in the open and be part mm. of the family. But I was felt so responsible to like a male dominance thing happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it was like a male dominance thing happening. Hmm. And so I felt responsible to make my husband happy, even though like everything I earned paid for the trip. It really didn't have to come out of his pocket, essentially. I was just feeling guilty and frustrated. And I was noticing these things and we go home and we had flown out of Baltimore. So we were driving back to the airport and decided to do the mall, the national mall. And we're finally heading out of DC back to Baltimore. And he just lost it on the kids because they were fighting. We had been in the car all day and I was just like, 
he's getting out of the door, getting ready. I don't know what to do. And my mind ripped my son out of the car. And I just yelled at him. And I was just like, no, I am not going to allow my kids to be treated like this anymore. It's not fair to them. And it's not fair to them to be scared of their dad. And then as I got home, my daughter was talking to me about how hard it was for her and just opening up more about how her husband tried to talk to him and he wouldn't talk and just all these things. And I kept thinking, if I keep this marriage, I'm going to have to choose between him. And if Mm -hmm. my daughter starts having babies, I'm not going to even be able to be a part of their life. So all of these awarenesses, all of these pieces, and it sounds like just even that conversation with your daughter and that awareness of, look, I'm not feeling comfortable. And so that idea of maybe, look, if you're with dad, he's not welcome back kind of a thing. So you're now feeling like you have to make that decision. What was that actual, like for you, what was the like, that's it. I'm like, I am done. Well, I still hadn't quite made that decision. I was really angry. I was not talking. I was giving the silent treatment, not essentially to hurt him, but I was just in my head trying to work things out, trying to process it all. And he had actually come, it was a Sunday and he, I was leaving out the door with my six year four at that time, four year old to go to my niece's house. And he looked at me and he's just basically like, what is going on? I, you're not talking what's going on. And I just looked at him and I was like, I'm done. Mm. I, I am done. Were you planning on saying that or did that just come out? It just came out. And he had an emotional meltdown. He like totally freaked out, punched a hole in my wall. And I'm not sure if my four-year-old at that time had observed it or not, but he was scared. He had come in and hide under my skirt and I was trying to get him out. And I, so I took, so me and my six, four-year-old at the time left. And then I just didn't go back to the house. I just went to my parents and I was like, I don't know what to do. I have my other two kids there, but it's just not safe enough for me to go back right now. Hopefully my older kids are aware enough. If they don't feel safe, they'll just go to grandma and grandpa's. But I, yeah, so I didn't come home that night. And then I came back the next day when I knew he was gone to work and he came home. And we talked about it. And I said, you need to just, you need to find somewhere else to live. And we were doing the marriage repair workshop at that time. And it was really hard for me. I just, I couldn't get myself into it. That was another thing. I just, I I couldn't get myself into it. And he would try to bring like, oh, this during our separation, like he was trying to work it out. I'd later found out that my cousin had seen his profile on Tinder that December month already. So while he's trying to work it out, he's already got a Tinder profile going. That's really interesting because I feel like so many women are in that predicament that where it's really confusing, their body's telling them one thing, like this doesn't feel right. It's not comfortable. It doesn't feel safe, but he's checking off all of the things on the list. And that's what it sounds like was happening. He was doing this workshop and checking all the things, but your body was telling you something different. And hindsight, right now you can see, oh my gosh, he really was just checking off the boxes. There wasn't any change really happening. So, so interesting. And that's all he did. He'd give me breadcrumbs just enough to believe that there was hope to keep going. Yeah. 
And when, during that separation, he kept trying to put, pin that on me. And then he would like come and have these conversations with me, like, and he used where he used to be able to talk me into going back to him. Yeah. And it was absolutely the power of God or divine or whoever you believe in. It was, it was also powerful because I absolutely stood my ground. There was nothing in me having any questions whatsoever. I was just like, uh, uh-uh, I am done. I am not going back. I'm not changing my mind. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't sway me. He pulled every trick out of his pocket and he could not sway me. What were some of those things he was trying to do? Just like, um, what did that look like for you? So he would come to the house and he wanted to do service for me. So he wanted to finish remodeling the bathroom and he was helping the kids do the go-karts. So he was doing all the things like trying to be the good parent and trying to be the good husband and being calm and loving and all the times that he, so the one time when I felt like liberated to just leave him the year before, he was like, oh, I'm reading these conference talks and this is what they're saying. Of course, I'm like all for that. Yeah, and then, yeah. like the summer of 2020, when we actually started having more separation, he's like listening to Lauren Daigle and he's not talking trash about her. And I just stopped listening to her. I was like, oh no, you are not, you just ruined that, you know? <laughs> and, and so he would do all the things that he knew that I wanted and that I loved, and that was near and dear to my heart. And that was really hurtful. A pattern. It sounds like that was a pattern. Every time you would draw a boundary, draw a line and create that space, then he'd show up. Yes. So at this time he's doing service, he's helping you. You were more certain than ever, like, no, we're done. So when did that stop? When did that showing up right eventually wear out? When he got a girlfriend. (laughs) <laughs> interesting. So yes, very interesting. I'm very observant person. And he had come, so he would come to the house on. So what happened is I started the divorce proceedings and I realized, okay, we've, the kids have to have some consistency. They're having a lot of anxiety about when they're going to see dad, when they're not going to. And so I said, okay, here, look, this is what it says in the court papers. Let's just start following this. So you could have your one week night. And then near every other weekend. So he would come to the house on that one weeknight and he was sitting in the chair. First of all, I noticed because we had made covenants in the temple that he had taken off his garments. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And, and then I noticed him sitting in my rocking chair in my living room, just jovial and happy and texting somebody back and forth a lot. I'm like, I'm very observant. And that is not just anybody. So I went and did some recon work because he's, (laughs) I just want to say he's not very smart. I don't know. Or I'm just really led. I don't know if I have a gift. I don't know. So I go to his Facebook profile because he doesn't like, he doesn't have a lot of friends on his Facebook profile and he doesn't really accept friend requests. So I go on there. Sure enough, there's a brand new girl on there. And she happens to be mutual friends with his mother and his mother and this girl happen to work at the same place. I'm like, uh, ta-da, there it is. There you have it. And after that, I was like, 
you're not allowed in my house. I will meet you halfway and you can take the kids, but you're not allowed in my house. And so that is when he finally decided when he had gotten somebody else. And that was hurtful. That was like another form of betrayal and realization that what I thought was real was not real to him. Yeah. And even the helping and the service and the being good, like showing up in those ways, sounds like for you, that was showed the inauthenticity. It really Mm -hmm. wasn't for the purpose of maybe reconciling. And a lot of times, you know, women will think that like, oh, he's serving, he's showing up, he's trying. So maybe I need to hold on a little bit longer. Maybe I need to give him one more chance. And that's where it can get so tricky. But for you, it sounds like that, that added piece of investigation that you did there gave you that, like, like sounds like just like nail in the coffin, like, nope, that did it. Absolutely. And what you had just said is exactly the cycles that I went through this whole, like last 10 years of our marriage, essentially is what I felt like that I fought against. I'm like, Oh, but he's doing these good things. He's trying, he's seeing Mm -hmm. the Bishop. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I just wanted so bad for it to be real. And I just, I mean, I was my thing just because it was so poorly. Oh, I don't know how to word this. Like I wasn't really taught that what a real relationship was and how essentially it is supposed to look like. And so I think with my culture between my culture at home and society and my church, you get married, you graduate high school, you either go on a mission or you don't, but you get married and you stay married. And so essentially I found myself married to the idea of being married. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my identity. And it just, you know, so I'm sitting here hoping like, no, you've got to be, you know, you've got to change. You're going to change. I know you will. And just going into that whole savior mode and it's exhausting, exhausting physically and mentally. And the health toll that has taken has been, that's been a fun journey just working through that. But yeah. So how has the last year and a half been for you? Like when you got divorced, you went through that process, did, let me ask you this during that divorce process, what was the biggest challenge for you to get that finalized? Yeah, it did take me quite a a while to finalize it. Um, I actually did it all on my own. I wrote it up on my own instead of having a lawyer assist me. I knew how to manipulate him enough to where he wouldn't contest. I knew he didn't contest his first marriage divorce. So he, yeah, he didn't contest mine either. But I just was just, I'm not sure what was holding me back necessarily. I guess the time I was just really stressed between what was going on at work and trying to deal with everything. But once I realized that, okay, he is for sure moved on. I think that's when I was like, okay, let's whip these papers out and get it done. Rare. Not everyone has that advantage of being able to handle it in that way. Um, So for you, because you knew his, his personality, the pattern, what he did before sounds like he wasn't 
contesting. He wasn't at that point arguing because he had essentially moved on and was preoccupied at that time with someone else. So you utilize that as an advantage while he's preoccupied to go ahead and move forward and get this done. Yes. Utilized is a very much <laughs> a nicer way of putting it. Yes, I did. And it's true. It is really more utilizing it. And that's what I did. And I wasn't out to be unfair. I wasn't out to, you know, take him for a ride or seek revenge. That was just not part of who I decided I wanted to be. I tried to make it as fair as possible and to be free. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially then I kind of learned that with my daughter and her biological father and child support. I just, I'm like, it's not worth, there was things that would come up and I'm like, it's just not worth it. Money's not worth it to me. I could figure it out on my own some other way. And so that's the mindset I had. And which so, is a yeah. rare, another rare mindset, honestly, like I think that getting that money and that child support and needing that really it keeps a lot of women stuck from moving forward and moving on. And what I'm hearing from you is that because you started to pack your wagon, like you say, and really learn how to support yourself and navigate your own individual journey, create your life for yourself. It, it empowered you to not be so reliant and stay stuck in that fight. You just had more of that confidence that you could figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. There were so many tender mercies on the way in 2020, just before everything shut down, I had actually flew out to Virginia to go see my daughter. She was really having a rough time. Her husband was in Great Lakes in Chicago, and she was here in Virginia by herself. And every she was getting out of school, getting assigned to a ship. So it was just really overwhelming. And so I came out here to visit her. And the, she had inspired me. She, I'm like, rented a U-Haul truck to get herself furniture in the city. I, this is a country girl who didn't get her license till she was almost 18. And I was like, <laughs> don't drive on the freeway because she had her. So her recruiter had like a weekly fitness thing they would do every week. And I'm like, nope, you've got to take back roads. And so she literally would take back roads all the way there. Cause I'm like, I, I don't trust you on the freeway to driving in the city, this big old U-Haul truck, unloading it in her town home and buying herself a car. And I was like, what the hell? I could do that. I had asked <laughs> I for a bigger vehicle. Tahoe was not loading up bikes in the back. My sister's van loads them up wonderfully. I want a van and he wouldn't give me a van. So I came home and I bought myself a van. Yeah. And it was in my own name on my own piddly income and my debt to income ratio was awful, but <laughs> that thing, I put more money into it than it was worth. And so like that just, but that was just such a tender mercy to be like, if she could do it, I yeah. can do it. Yeah. And then it was like a snowball effect after that. And a year later, I'm getting ready to move. I had a home, a second home up in North Dakota. I'm like, I'm going to go fix this up. And I can't drive this van up there. Like, I don't want to slide off the road. And I'm like, this is not conducive. And I don't know if it's reliable. So by the grace of God, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go try. I'm going to see what they have. I know this is what I want. And I got there. What I wanted was sold. And he's like, let's look at these certified pre-owned. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I have two mortgages in my name. This is the kind of income I make. My debt to income ratio is not that great. I don't know. He's like, what's your budget? I'm like, okay, this is what it is. This is my monthly budget. He goes and runs the numbers. I'm driving that. I'm driving a little Jeep Cherokee 
it was it's a latitude so it's not the grand cherokee but i'm driving the jeep cherokee off the lot they took my damn van i mean i was 1500 upside down but i didn't care i had a vehicle that was going to support me take care of me it had a warranty so if anything major went wrong i was taken care of and i was like at that moment i was like i thought i was worth the van god is saying no and this thing is nice i mean nice leather seats like all the bells and the whistles everything I'd ever want in a car that I never even got when I was married and I'm like God really sees me as worth so much more than this van he has taken care of me and it was just so empowering to have that to be like I am worth this and not only that it was like I had it figured out. I had people renting my home in Utah and I had my nephews in renting, helping me with my bills. I just figured it out. I'm like, I'm pulling four or five incomes just to make half of what I had before, but it's working. Yeah. And honestly, the ha- living on half the income, I felt like I had way more than double the income when I was married. That's not the first time I've heard that. It's so interesting. And I've experienced the same thing. You just, you really feel like there's no way you look at the numbers, but when you are more in control of that and aware of that and more empowered in your finances, it's amazing how far you can make a buck go Yes, when it's it's your buck. (laughs) And how creative you get in finding the buck. Uh-huh. For sure. So how has the last year and a half gone for you? What is that? post-divorce. So you're divorced, you're figuring out how to make it work. What is the last year and a half journey been you like know, for it's you? It's been a roller coaster ride. I will not lie. It has had its ups and flows. I have cried. I have wanted my ex-husband back thinking I have totally ruined my kids and I made the worst mistake in my entire life. But then once I worked through those emotions, I'm at like today, I look back, there's so much more joy, even though there are still hardships, even though there's still those ebbs and flows. I am so happy. I have so much joy in my life. I feel like I could live. And I I recognize that during those 15 years of marriage, I was not living. Mm -hmm. I was essentially not living. And so I've been able to just little by little set myself free and really come into who I am. And just feel that sense of freedom. Yeah. That's so empowering. So for you, what are some affirmations or thoughts that have really helped you take that next hard step where you feel like, oh my gosh, I just, there's no way I can make this step. There's no way I can do that thing. A lot of times I'll see clients in these different stages of divorce and they get stuck. And it's just that one thing that helps you just take that next step forward. You know what? I I, like, so with my divorce and continuing with it, um, of course you're going to question even right to signing the papers. I had questioned, I had started questioning myself at that point, even And I just kept thinking of this quote from one of our general authorities or apostles in the church that said, if it was right, then it's right now. And I had to keep just telling myself that if it was right, then it's right now. And that was what kept me going through. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's amazing how you make that decision. You feel peace about it. You said you felt total peace direction. You're like very sure, confident, and then the human brain will start doing its thing, get in the way. And that's where the self-doubt comes in. And I think just expecting that to happen rather than being shocked that it is or confused when it comes, stepping back and just getting more clear, curious. You've used that word before. And then reminding yourself of what you knew to be true for you in that moment. Yes. And another thing was my therapist had taught me about being in my comfort zone. Like we want to continually go back to that comfort zone because that is exactly what we knew. And so that is another repetitive thought I would put in my head was like, okay, you're missing that. Or you want to go back because that's all you knew. You don't know this life though. That is what is comfortable and what is comfortable is not okay anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so powerful. So what would you, as we wrap up, what would you like women to know who feel like they cannot do it? They feel like there's no way they can get divorced. There's no way they can be a single mom. What would you like them to know? Really? If you just tap into your higher power, you have your safe people you are working on yourself. You have the strength within you to do what you think you cannot do. You really, you really can self empower. You have that. Everybody has that within us and it's scary. And sometimes the fear overcomes the action But if you can just learn to breathe through that, like we learn in our, in coaching sessions in our believing group is if you could just fill it and breathe through it. And there's just so many different things that you could do to work through it. But I just say, just whatever it is, work through it. What is stopping you get curious about it because it is so heartbreaking when I'm just looking at my situation and looking back and seeing how scared I was because it took me a long time to really gain that confidence and to really be like, no more. And so part of that could be that maybe that's why it's so important to pack your wagon. Maybe it's not about what's in the wagon or that that wagon's going to get you out. Maybe it's that wagon, you're actually building confidence in yourself, step by baby step. And once that confidence is big enough, then you'll be ready. So, yeah, because it isn't the external things. Every, there's no amount of money doesn't create the security, right? It's not the dollars that create the security. It's not all of these things. It's not even the job. It's our thoughts about all of it. One person can have a hundred dollars. One person can have a thousand dollars, but if they have their their thought about that money is what creates that confidence. And so it can come at any time that it's just choosing it. So when are you ready to choose it? But I love what you said there. And I think it's taking those steps to independence, taking those steps to empowerment, taking just one step. I've said this in different platforms before, but it just keeps coming up to me at coming every time what my, my functional medicine doctor said about was I'm working on my, <laughs> my gut health and trying to get my central nervous system back online and stuff like that. Like she talks about the microbiome and how just one 
meal that feeds that microbiome garden is enough. You're making a difference. And you might not see the results for a year, Amy, she says this to me, she's, but you're making a difference every time you have a meal that feeds your gut and feeds that nourishes that microbiome. And then you'll start to see more of the effects on the outside. Cause I was getting super frustrated that I wasn't seeing the results. And that's what I'm hearing is like, just that those little steps that you took on the, to create confidence on the inside, it was little by little until you could start to see it show up in evidence on the outside. And I just know that to be true. And I I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable. Again, it's just been so amazing to see your growth and all that you have been able to do on your own. You said that you admire your daughter for moving, like you moved how many times? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Way too many times. I have trauma over moving. I will just tell you that I'm like, can we just, that's all. I I don't want things anymore. (laughs) Honestly, but you have done it. You've done it. So, so empowering. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Amy. Oh my goodness. I love this episode so much. And what I want to offer you all today to consider is something that she talked, that she talked about through, throughout her story are these little steps that she took to create confidence in her own abilities rather than relying on her ex to, to do something in order to provide something for her. She, like she said, packed her wagon and started to figure out how to create those things for herself. So my offer for you today is to make a list of what are those things that you can pack in your wagon and create for yourself and provide for yourself. It might feel super scary to do. So we're just leaning in. And when your brain starts to freak out, just tell your brain, Hey, we're just, just making a list, just getting curious here. But I think that the more you can see where you can provide for you, and that might require thinking outside of the box and imagining different options that you maybe are scared to consider right now. So how can you take tiny steps to create more confidence in your own abilities? What a beautiful, empowering shift to make. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. And remember that no matter what, you are 100% of worth and value and absolutely enough, no matter what. Take care. All right, everyone, I need your help to get this podcast available to more women and help them navigate divorce through a place of empowerment as well. Please leave a review on Apple podcast. And at the end of the month, I will choose two listener reviews to send a thank you gift to. So take a moment to do that. And thank you so much for listening today. Remember, you are the chooser in your life and have the power to create the life you want one step at a time. Take care, everybody.